Hey, just a heads up that this episode does involve a conversation in which sexual assault is mentioned. Welcome to TBT with Grace and Emma, a podcast on the millennial generation and how we came to be on this. Oh, I'm Grace. Oh, and I'm Emma. On this week's episode, we consider how some recently released documentaries may force us to examine ourselves in new ways. We talk about the NFL and millennials, much to everyone's surprise. <laughs> and we bring in some movie and music-based TBTs. Thanks so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Hey. Hey. How's it going, Grace? You know, it's going well. Um, I got some iced tea right here. I know. I have some hot tea in a very precarious spot between my elbow and the microphone. And uh... <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> Living on the edge. Yeah, I like it. Ew. Oh, my God. Do you have to do that? I hate it's that. What, what, ASMR. <laughs> yes. ASMR is the worst. Is it? You don't like it? I don't really have ASMR like the way that some people have ASMR, but I I despise hearing people eat, especially oh, when yeah. I'm in my own bedroom Yeah, and I can hear my parents chewing in mm. the kitchen with the door closed. No. Yes. Oh I'm goodness. telling you, paper thin walls. My goal, people, hold me accountable. My goal <laughs> is to move out March 2019. Wow. We'll see if it happens. That's That's a month away. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. We'll see. Great. How are you doing, Grace? I'm doing super well. Um, you know, just luxuriating in a Saturday where I've just done nothing at all. Ah, oh, great. Well, we've got some fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really stoked. We also, could, should we clarify with some corrections and updates or do you want to end with that? Oh, let's start with corrections and updates. I'm down. Okay. Um, we had a, resp- so last week, we or a uh, fortnight ago, we talked about uh, millennial burnout. And I got a response um, from my good Judy Eleanor, and she she provided a, another depth of insight that I just wanted to share. Um, so she's graciously allowed me to read what she said. Um, so Eleanor says, among all my millennial friends, I seem to have one of the most normal work schedules. Even last night, I had a craft night, and it was crazy talking to everyone and hearing the insanity of these jobs. It can feel like a competition to see who works the most. My hours are pretty normal right now, but I've totally been a part of this problem. I think especially right out of college, I was eager to prove that I had actual responsibility, and I liked the idea that people needed me and that I was necessary to the team. I worked at my first job for two and a half years, and I didn't call in sick once because I was so convinced that the place couldn't function without me, but also because I hadn't put systems in place to allow for others to step in. I had created an environment where I held a lot of power, therefore making myself more necessary than was actually needed. Thank you so much, Eleanor, for writing that in. Because I think it highlights such a, a huge point, which is like... This this competition totally exists, and oh my gosh, this idea that people needed me and I was necessary, I felt that that I connected so much to that. What yeah. Do, what do you think? Yeah, I really, I really relate to this as well. Um, and I remember, like in my previous job when I was coaching teachers, I was like, 
my entire feeling of self-worth was wrapped up in how much people depended on me Mm. to like to an unhealthy extent like I was like if people weren't calling me or texting me after work I was like do they not need me am I irrelevant Mm -hmm. like I felt like my existence depended on other people being dependent on me Mm -hmm. and I am also curious like how much of that is because we are similar to Eleanor in that our work is very much a part of our Mm. self-worth and our identity but not everyone is like that and not everyone is driven by like achievement some people are driven by wanting to feel a part of a team Mm -hmm. some people are driven by wanting to have power and influence over others there are other motivational factors that are part of the human condition yeah and so i'm just curious too like i think this is a really important point i'm really appreciative of eleanor for making it and i'm also curious if we're like still kind of Mm. segmenting ourselves into a population of the people of people who are driven by certain feelings within the workplace. Sure. Knowing that not everyone operates in that same way. Yeah, that's so fair. So thank you, Eleanor. We'd love, you know, other folks takes as well, but um, really, really grateful to be able to share that. Great. Thanks, Eleanor. And I also have a quick correction. We talked a lot last week about (laughs) something. (laughs) We're so dumb. About something called an IZOD, which was supposed to be this like smaller version of a Polaroid camera that had a smaller version of a picture come out of it. So correction, people, it was actually an IZone, not an IZOD. Thank you so much um, (laughs) to myself for Googling that after the fact and realizing. I also am going to post the picture that I alluded to earlier that I still have in my room of my cute as fuck little brother um, holding a football because I made him pose in a really masculine way because thank you to the patriarchy but one quick thing that I wanted to note I just realized like within the past five minutes why you said IZOD because it's it's a brand and it's because I'm literally sitting next to your laundry I peek in and there's a pair of IZOD underwear are you serious sitting at the top yes she goes to look oh my god (laughs) She pushes away the sweaters. She pulls it I out pulls of the out laundry basket. I pulls out my tidy whiteies. <laughs> oh my god, Emma! Wow. wow, cool. That is too funny. Oh, All right, boy. thanks for bearing with us, <laughs> listeners. Always feel free to pipe in with like a quick correction or update because we're not right m- many times. Is it a new segment like "What's in Grace's Laundry"? <laughs> <laughs> we're oh literally god. airing our dirty laundry right wow. now. Wow. Who would find that funny? Probably just you and me. (laughs) Everyone else is like, geez, now we're really getting into some lightweight narcissism. (laughs) All right. Next up, we have uh, pseudo-millennials in the news segment. Would we call this millennials in the news? Um, I think yeah. I think so. I cool. think this all centers on on the current millennial zeitgeist, the conversations that people are having right now. Yeah. So here we go with millennials in, in the, the news. news. In the news. In the in news. The... <laughs> wow, we're really on one today. Okay. Um, I mean, so I want to start with a question. Yeah. Who do you trust? Like, let's say. Today, you needed to find a brunch spot. <laughs> oh. Um, or, or you are 
thinking about making a life choice mm-hmm. or you're thinking about making a purchase or you're thinking about um, uh, repositioning some aspect of your life, who do you trust? I mean, it obviously depends on the question at hand, but I think there's like a close group of friends that I would trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> e dot G dot when looking for a brunch place, I texted Zach and Grace who live in the neighborhood <laughs> in that which was I was looking for fruit. yeah was, a brunch place. No, I, I'm pandering a little. No, it was good. <laughs> and Grace recommended an amazing brunch spot. So thank you so much, Grace. Um, so yeah, people in my life, my parents, my close family, and my close friends. Who do you trust? I also trust, um, uh, well, like the the recommendations or their their perspectives. Definitely close family, particular friends, and I also feel like there's a few people I would trust. Like I would trust if Michelle Obama said like. I would recommend that you consider this. Mm. I would trust her. You know, there's or there's like a few people, even in, in popular culture, in certain circumstances, I would look to them to, to give me information. You mean that level of people that you don't know personally, but who you trust as yes. barrier? What's the word? Barrier? Bar- carriers. Mm. Guiders. Leaders. Would you maybe say influencers? <gasps> Tell me more about that word, Grace. <laughs> so so just in watching the fire documentary, I think that there was a real um, response to onlookers that were saying, like, how could people make the decision to actually like the series of decisions that would lead you to purchase a ticket, purchase a flight, get on that flight. And after getting to Miami, get on that other flight to the Bahamas, right? And I think that to me, it comes down to this idea of influence. And and it made me think about like, how do we wrap up so much trust in people whose job it is to help us cut through the noise, Oh, right? There's so much noise. How do we find and identify and follow these people that help us understand how to how to make choices like the fact that there's a job to influence other people I think comes down to this current state of really identifying who you trust and that's what I when I was watching the fire documentary I thought how powerful that this block this yellow block or orange block that was posted on Instagram by a strategic amount of people became such a a way of garnering trust that this was something that would happen. Um, And so so my takeaway, as much as obviously it's easy to say, easy to pass a ton of judgment or or to to come to a bunch of conclusions about it, to me it really came down to like how do millennials identify who they trust, how how the extent and and, um, barriers of that trust. And that's kind of what my takeaway was. Yeah. In addition to what a fucking asshole who exploited the Bahamian people. But aside from that, yeah, which to me was like the most egregious, most horrific element of this. Yeah. Um really how how do we trust people? Yeah, I I like don't I I don't really understand because I don't relate to that. I don't buy mm-hmm. shit online because I don't trust that the sizing is going to actually match. Mm-hmm. I don't like 
you know, I find people to be entertaining online. I think there's certain people whose voices I, like, really take into consideration and yeah. certain people that I follow that I, like, trust what they're telling me to read and mm-hmm. consider. But when right. it comes to, like, spending thousands of dollars, I don't really understand how you go from an Instagram post to whipping out your credit card. I think it happens on a small scale. It's not necessarily shelling out thousands of dollars to to go to a fake festival. Yeah. But isn't that just, like, always been corporate marketing? Is, like, identify the person that people feel like they have a trusting relationship with, whether that's someone in the public eye through, like, media, movies, a politician, and then find a way to have them sell something to us? Yes. But was there really a job before that was influencer? Oh, like solely an influencer? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I don't think... I don't know. I don't don't think so. I mean, I don't know either. I just think it's interesting that we've gotten to the point where we need that kind of, um, like, benchmarker to help us. I I just feel like it is a way for us to understand uh, the increasing diversity of choices we can make. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, because there's so much information, so we need someone to pre-vet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then who we actually end up trusting is just often dictated by men with money. Yes. Like, I can't believe that people trusted Billy McFarland with millions of dollars. Right. Especially because, so, um, to be clear, I did not watch the Hulu one. I only watched the Netflix one because mm-hmm. I don't really have a Hulu account, so I didn't do it. And, um, he fucking ran his first, that credit card company, like, basically into the ground, and then people shelled out millions more dollars to him. Right. Like, we paint a picture of who we can trust, um, spoiler alert, that picture is usually a cisgender white man with a certain amount of charm to him. Right. And then we identify that that's someone that we can trust, and someone says that, and then everyone else just kind of goes along with it. Right. So that's what I found frustrating about fire documentaries, how much it confirms mm. that we identify people based on, like, these still very white, heteronormative, right. patriarchal ways of identifying people that we trust. Even the whole, like, shit about when people get on a plane and they, like, hear a woman's voice as a pilot right. and, like, people lose confidence like that. It's It's all the same shit. We identify that person. We put trust in them. And we keep moving forward with our money and our actions in alignment with that person. And we follow them in lockstep. And I think that we oftentimes talk about millennials as, like, moving away from some of the traditional ideas of who we trust and who we value in society. But Mm -hmm. really, I think that this documentary showed that um, especially white people with money still continue to value and trust white people with money. Mm Mm-hmm. Can I just real quickly show a quick behind the talk about a quick behind the curtain? Behind, open the curtain. Uh, here's the curtain opening. We've already talked about underwear, so we're just gonna keep going with um, airing our dirty laundry. Great. So Grace texted me and was like, "Okay, let's talk about fire, the fire documentaries." And my immediate reaction was like, "Because I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I watched the Netflix one." And I remember reading some New York Magazine coverage of it when it was actually happening and being like, what the fuck is this? Mm. And feeling, like, kind of confused about the whole concept. 
But honestly, like, every, I as you can probably imagine, I'm, like, a pretty avid podcast listener, and I just felt like this week everyone was talking about fire, and no one, to my, in my opinion, really had something, like, super interesting to say about it. I mean, yeah, there's, like, some interesting elements, and it was, like, super salacious, but, um, whatever. But then, upon second thought, I realized that there's actually been some really prov- provocative documentaries um, and reality shows that have come out recently that I think we can kind of lump together and talk about as like a holistic kind of um, genre. This actually ties into last week's episode as well. Oh, here's another correction. Mm. I said Wade Robinson, Uh but his name is actually Wade Robson. Oh, got it. So after that quiz, I googled Wade Robson and realized that he is actually making a lot of uh, media, getting a lot of media attention right now because he's actually one of the primary sources for this new Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland. Leaving Neverland. Yeah. Um, and Wade Robson is, it comes out, um, one of, or allegedly one of the horrifically abused victims of Michael Jackson's alleged history of child abuse and assault. And so he's actually going to be reappearing, likely, and will continue to be reappearing in the zeitgeist as someone who is speaking out against that. Yeah. How do you feel like that helps us understand who we are? Especially in tandem. Like, I'm also, you know, you also noted the R. Kelly documentary. Like, all of these documentaries are uncovering the truth behind these incidents and behind these, like, really trauma-filled, painful things, events, um, abuses. Mm-hmm. And does it mean that there is, like, should we take away that there's almost this hopefulness that these types of actions won't be allowed to be swept under the rug? That we can hold our heroes accountable to who they really were and that who you are matters as much as what you've done. Potentially, but I think, like, what's... Or what you've accomplished, rather. Yeah. But I think what's, like, still really tough is, like, Michael Jackson was on trial already. He already survived that, right? He was acquitted of the charges at the time. So, like, it's tough because I think we have to come to terms with with reevaluating our trust in people that we have historically... Well, maybe not as much R. Kelly, but, like, people feel very Mm. attached to Michael Jackson and trusted in him as a figure and as a musical artist and as a genius, which, Mm -hmm. by all accounts, he was in many ways. Right. So I think it's just, like, us having to grapple with uncovering nuance behind people that we have historically trusted and historically kind of, like, rallied around. I think that something happens when you have access to... Wealth, power, and thus an inflated ego stoked by the people around you to a degree that most others don't. Billy McFarlane. How did he, like, how was this guy able to to fake and lie his way to, like, speeding around on a jet ski in the Bahamas? Or, like, how do you go about being so doing such horrible things and being so protected 
Like, uh, from the consequences for that behavior. Right. There's no checks and balances. You work hard. You believe in something. You believe in justices. You, you believe be- in meritocracy. Sh- Ugh. Ugh. But, like, we also know, I mean, as even as we're saying this, we also know that, like, there are people from day one of life don't believe in those things because they're shown that they don't actually right. apply to them. Exactly. That the meritocracy is false. Right. Unless you fall into a certain demographic. Right. So, like, yeah, maybe it's just, like, oh, look at us. We're, like, having another moment of, like, disappointment when we realize that the rules don't apply to everyone. Mm. But I think, like, there's something even beyond that, which is just, like, the disconnect from a generation that, like, where so many of us are working so hard for justice and working so hard to make things better. And it's, like, all it takes is one fucking fuckery, you know. Right. What, how, what, how else do I describe this person except just, like, a, sh- a bag of fuckery tricks. Yeah. Like, running around and, like, they get the documentary about all their shit. And it's just, like... Really frustrating to sit back and think, okay, is that what it is? Is that what 2019 is about? Mm. Is looking back at Fire Festival. Right. So, so one last element of this is, um, you know, an, another influencer right now, Marie Kondo. Yeah! How does she tie into all of this? Well, I was just thinking about, like, the thing, the 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 new things in the Netflixy world that yeah. everyone's talking about, and I have not really been watching her, but, like, everyone is... Um, not everyone. A lot of people in my world have been making, like, references casually to her. Like, she's in the zeitgeist right now. We're going to yep. use that word a lot today, I think. Yep. <laughs> Maybe it'll work its way into the epi title. Who knows? <laughs> but it made me think a lot about what we alluded to last week, which is this, like, moving toward self-optimization, I think we called it. Yeah. And, or it was called in that BuzzFeed article about burnout. Yeah. And it just made me think about how we, like... We watch something like the R. Kelly documentary or we watch something like the fire documentary and we look at, like, the worst aspects of humanity. Mm -hmm. And yet we also are trying to source and find and attach to content that provides a pathway towards self-optimization. Yeah. Which is, like, clean up your fucking shit. Right. And organize your life and you will will increase your happiness and joy. Right. And I... And I was thinking the other day about, like, how do we self-improve? How, like, what sources do we have for growth? Especially when, like, religion is less of an less of a source for that. Mm -hmm. Like, books are still kind of part of that, but we have so many other mediums for growth. And here's Marie Kondo just coming in, cute as a fucking fly. She loves mess. (laughs) She's so amazing. Um... (laughs) <laughs> giving us some strategies for that. So, Emma, I, <laughs> I have been smirking at you for the past couple of days. I know, your face is strange. So, <laughs> I have to say, all right, you're looking, Emma, at someone who watched an episode and was like, yep, that's what I need. That's what I need to go through my shit. Like a process. I just need a process. It's going to help me get rid of more shit. So, if you open my drawer right now. You're going to see all of my clothes folded in the way that she suggests. 
And I'll tell you what, I went through everything and I questioned if it sparked joy. And you know what made it through? What? My eyes on underwear. Hey! <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. It was like, I went through this whole process and what made it through. But like, my eyes on tidy whiteies. Thank God. <laughs> Where do you get those? Costco? Marshalls. Yeah. Uh, my mom bought it for me. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Corey. Keeping it nice and neutral in the bedroom. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> going to say tight and white. Oh, fuck. Oh. My um, ass is both of those things, let me tell you. I'm so proud of you for doing the Marie Kondo. I have not done well, it. Well, you know, but I think your points are so valid. I think it's like we're, we're, I think it ties in beautifully to both of the things we're saying. One, tying back to millennial burnout and saying, like, a part of the self-optimization is that we're like, oh, here's another way that I can get closer to my best self. Mm-hmm. Um, but also this idea of, like, you know, she is able to, um, with with a approach to cleaning, move into this space of having a ton of influence like you are now a person that people will look to to understand how to uh be a better self because you have you have provided to the zeitgeist <laughs> number four I'm not, I'm just i said it just to be <laughs> i'm glad you did the title we of should... this episode is a hundred percent like we say zeitgeist a million times yeah i think that was six keep going um uh, and now she can be someone that people look to to say, like, when I know I need to better myself or clean my apartment or uh, whatever, I, I trust Marie Kondo. Yeah. Um, I also think, like, let's find the next op- uh, market. Uh-huh. What is it? Hmm. Market white, opportunities. White mm-hmm. uh, um, what if we what if we launch our own? Um, self-optimization pathway. Like, let's say our white space is that um, we just, I don't know, every episode. (laughs) Tips and tricks. Tips and tricks. This week, if you want to impress your friends, leave your tidy whiteies just slightly falling out of your trash. I'm into it if it's on that level. (laughs) I'm not into being anyone's guru. I don't know. I see I see some potential here. Take the items in your life that Oh my god, okay. <laughs> we gotta cut it. Um anyway, thanks so much for bearing with us as we run through some all of Netflix recent uh new releases. Yeah. It's been a fun it's been an interesting journey listening and watching everyone grapple with grapple oh, I hate that word. I'm just grapple with the zeitgeist. Oh boy. Oh, We are recording on February 2nd. And Happy Groundhog Day. Oh, yes. Spring's coming early this year. Yeah. Don't worry, Minnesota. <laughs> the end is just around the corner. <laughs> um, we also have something happening tomorrow in the zeitgeist. And that is... <laughs> we gotta lean into it at the, this point. The Super Bowl is tomorrow. I needed so many reminders of that. Because mm. the, the ability to care less does not exist in my soul. I, I couldn't possibly care less. You know what the best thing to do is during the Super Bowl? Eat. 
What? Eat? Oh. Oh. No, um, sure. Uh, oh, drink. Yeah, uh, that too. Um, go on errands. Ooh. No one... I went to the grocery store last year. That yeah. That is such a good suggestion. No. Nope. Yo, this is... I'm telling you. Our, oh, sorry. <laughs> we are the next Marie Kondo. Okay. Oh, Here's a my tip. God. That is, like, <laughs> such a high bar. Here's a tip. Go to the grocery store during the Super Bowl. Excellent tip, Emma. No one's there. The lines are short. Yep. I scheduled a haircut during the Super Bowl tomorrow. I'm super excited to be driving through the streets with no one out and about. Okay, I will say there's one potential downside. Don't go shopping for, like, chips, salsa, (laughs) hot dogs. No. there will not be any. Right. But I do totally agree. Yes. Great. Um... So I w- was thinking, like, okay, we don't really care about the Super Bowl at, from the sports perspective. Yes. But then I thought, okay, well, maybe there's a way to, like, tie this into the theme of our pod, For which sure. is millennials. Absolutely. So I looked some stuff up. And the first thing to come up was an article from, from um, sports-renowned media source Bleacher Report, which I've actually heard of before, yeah. um, surprising myself. And um, there's an interesting article about how, like, the millennial generation has influenced football. There's a couple key ways. One is that technology, as they call it, a.k.a. social media, makes it so that individual players have influence Mm. and branding opportunities from a younger and younger age. Yeah. One of the other things that they talked about was that um, the millennial culture is driving is driving against the dictatorial nature of mm-hmm. football and other organized sports. So millennials are like, I'm not going to just take you at your word. Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? Tell me why. Da, 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 asking questions. And there's an interesting quote that says, um, managers must make schedules and expectations clear before employees even arrive for work, set and reinforce high standards for workplace behavior, and provide forums for feedback so that employees feel respected and listened to. And research has also proved that few of us ever had the attention span for two-hour meetings or lectures in the first place. Mm. So, lo and behold, it seems like this article is at least touching upon our theory, which is millennials, by pushing back with some of the things that we value, are actually, in some ways, making the workplace better for everyone, even in the NFL. Wow. Whoa. I feel like it is a perfect example. I think the NFL right now, just as a sphere, is such a good example of this tremendous tension between generations, Mm. both in the fandom in the management, in the players, it is it is fascinating to me. And this tension that you're bringing up around, like, the professionalism necessary in this arena, pun intended, um, it is really kind of fascinating. So I have some follow-up on this. Yeah. Um, mini quiz. Don't <gasps> look at your computer. Okay. Do you know who was in the Super Bowl last year? Last year, <laughs> oh. uh, I'm gonna assume the Patriots. Mm. Mm-hmm. That yeah, right? that's right. And the, uh, oh, the other team was the Saints. No, it was the Broncos. No, it was the Fish. Emma's, <laughs> Emma's swimming. I'm wa- nope, you're I'm flapping, flapping my arm, flapping it was my the wings. Seahawks. No, it was <laughs> the other bird. It was the what's. 
What's like the bird of America? The Eagles, the, the Philadelphia Eagles, who won? Who won, Grace? They did. Yeah. Oh, they, that wasn't a question. Yes, they did. Oh, sorry. The Eagles won. And do you won. know what one of the theories is around why? Because they and they they so the Patriots are really old school, totally. old school football club. Football what? Football <laughs> oh my club. God. I old school football club. <laughs> Stay with us. Um, don't leave. Um, they're really old school team mm. with like really traditional ways. Tom Brady is the oh. like oldest quarterback. Yeah, 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 we don't like him. No. Old old school, old school, like very hierarchical, very like do as I say. Interesting. Downward dictatorship. Well, not a dictatorship, downward direction. The Eagles were a younger team that valued things like feedback mm. and the perspectives of players. And in fact, this article made me realize that I was once completely apathetic about tomorrow's game of the Los Angeles Rams versus the Patriots. But now I actually have a reason to root for the Los Angeles Rams, which is that they too have a millennial head coach. What? He's a millennial and he also is someone that really values the opinions of his players and always tells them why Ooh. he's giving them the direction that he's giving them. So it's not just out of context or an abstract or feeling like just a straight up directive without any sort of context or additional engagement opportunities. He gives them directives and he grounds it in the why so that people understand why they're doing what they're doing and aren't just always succumb to Succumbing to the directives of their head coach, a la the Pats. Boo. Wow. Now I have a reason to care about tomorrow. Yeah. I'll still be at the grocery store. Right. But I'll maybe check the game on the phone every once in a while. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, It's Sean McVay. Ah. Yeah. Sean McVay. Okay, okay, but can I just say before we leave, I just want to say I found like a couple cool quotes about Sean McVay. Oh, great. And how he runs his team. Okay. They said that they he and his staffers don't coach football, they teach it. Every directive oh. is coupled with a specific reasoning. Everyone can, for lack of a better word, empathize with it. Some coach named Whitworth says he it's okay. It's okay. Not only do I understand what I do, I understand why I'd want to do it that way. Um, oh, Andrew Whitworth is the Rams offensive lineman. And okay. um, the lines of communication are always open. So whether it's a conversation at lunch or a quick chat in the hallway, I'm still quoting from Bleacher Report, or a short sidebar after a meeting, Whitworth, Whitworth says McVeigh probably interacts with every member of the office at some point during the day. And those sessions often center around a concept or a tactic that the player doesn't feel comfortable executing. And when an issue arises, the players are able to voice their concerns to McVeigh. So, like, there's this two-way dialogue that he has with his players and granted probably a lot of it is informed by the fact that he's as old as many of his players I think he's like 33 Mm. so it's Mm -hmm. not like he has like the age authority right but it's like really cool to see a millennial coaching other millennials and doing it grounded on receptivity grounded on mutual layers of respect and feedback and that's why I want the LA Rams to win the Super Bowl tomorrow okay and if they don't is that affirmation that because <laughs> I feel like that is exactly the kind of thing that would be like, well, second place is still losing. Like you, you'd still you didn't win. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, first of all, like, the fact that the LA Rams are in the Super Bowl, we all know that there was a very controversial, well, we may not all nope, know, not but all um, know some this. of us know <laughs> that there was a really controversial play, and some people believe that the Saints should have won the championship game a couple of weeks ago. But the fact that they're in the Super Bowl in and of itself is a testament to their coaching and to their coaching quality and also like regardless of whether or not they won there's also they win there's also a proof of concept in the Eagles which had a very similar approach and won against the Patriots last year so let's keep this thing going people right and also it it makes you think like how do people actually feel like what what's the metric here um (laughs) of like when someone's looking back on their career like when were they happy when were they satisfied with the work they were doing with their own growth like, I know that this sounds so much like participation trophy approach, but I do think that it's something to be said that, like, I wonder how, whether, obviously, the most important thing to a lot of players is probably winning. And so what does it mean to also be able to have um, a career or a professional experience that you can feel was uh, was important and helpful to you? Right. And it's like when we say participation trophy, we just mean like equality and right. access and like, and like distribution of, of knowledge. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. I think we're going to stop talking about football, but look at Hopefully us. Hopefully forever. Yeah. <laughs> look at us talking about football on our pod. Oh my God. Maybe we'll get some new listeners. Maybe finally, finally, oh my God. Maybe finally Tony will listen to the podcast. Tony. <laughs> Shame. All right, All right. Ready for a quiz? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Cha-ching. All right. This is about the halftime shows. <gasps> okay. Ready. Okay, I know a little bit about this. The Super Bowl halftime show? But very little. Great. Oh, wait. Ha- past ones? Past ones. Oh, shit. Okay, here we go. You'll be fine. Trust me on this. You'll be fine. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Halftime shows at the Super Bowl. <gasps> Question one. Which halftime show involved this iconic singer playing in the midst of a downpour in Miami Gardens, which is home of the Miami Dolphins? The hint is downpour. Rain. (gasps) Rihanna? Oh. Uh, Rain. Downpour. But rain-related? Sometimes that rain is different colors. Rainbow rain. Okay. Uh, I think I'm just going to give it to you. <laughs> rain, like multicolored rain? Um, No. like Purple rain? Yeah. Oh! Who's that? Prince! Yeah. Do you know the year? No way. 1999. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been epic. Uh, no, 2007. Oh, wow. And he played in a downpour. Ugh. Wow. All right, number two. Which halftime show was dubbed... A show paying tribute to the kings and queens of rock and pop and included one exposed belly button piercing, one arm sock, one scarf tied to a microphone stand, and one cameo by Ben Stiller. Oh my gosh, that sounds epic. All right, the kings of rock and pop and queens. Okay, um, that would be Aerosmith. Yeah, girl. Because you got me at the scarf and um, a queen of pop. Who would be obviously? Do you want me to tell you the year? Oh yeah, two thousand one. Oh, Britney Spears. Yeah, and then it was epic because she got to sing a duet with her boyfriend. Because guess who else was there? Kevin Federline. (laughs) 
No, Good um, one. Justin Timberlake. Yeah, because guess who else was there? Oh fuck, man! Oh, oh, obviously. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, Jackson. Um, no, uh, no, oh. just in sync. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was going for in sync. Okay, wait. Wow, how many times really... has Justin Timberlake been at the Super Bowl? So many. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, also, I'll just give you the hint because I feel like everyone listening is like hurried up already. Mary J. Blige and Nelly were also there. That Nelly! sounds like the wildest night. I think it was the best halftime show ever. Did you watch it? No, I'm going to have to. Oh, I did. It okay. was amazing. Okay. We all know, number three, we all know the infamous halftime show that led yes. to Justin, yeah, yep. Justin Timberlake ripping off part of Janet Jackson's bodice in Janet. 2004. Yeah. Um, first of all, Grace, do you remember where you were then? Yeah, I saw it happen. I was on my couch in Brooklyn. Yeah. I was sitting on the floor in my living room in Berkeley. Yeah. And I saw it and I was like... Did I just see a nip? Right. Yeah, right. totally. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Totally. Um, it was so exciting. Do you remember the other, that other people were on the lineup for that performance? And do you no. know who? No. Yeah, right? Shocking. Do you want to guess? One of them has already been mentioned. Um, Mariah Carey. No. Um, Britney Spears. No. That would have been tragic. Oh, oh, Rihanna. No. No. She was not famous yet. I don't know. Nelly. Oh, oh, sorry. Kid Rock, P. Oh. Diddy, and Jessica Simpson. Surprising. What a fucking time. Yeah. Surprising that Kid Rock wasn't the one to, like, do some shady-ass shit that night. I mean, Justin Timberlake, bleh. Man of the woods. <laughs> Man of the woods. Get out of here. Go back in the woods. <laughs> Number... <laughs> Number four, oh who played the 2008 halftime show between the season undefeated, I did not write this well, Patriots, Boo, and the New York Giants, led by oh. Eli. The NFL went on to release this full video after the lead singer's tragic passing in 2017. This one's for you, Gracie. Um, Who's for you, specifically? Oh, Tom Petty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was one, probably my favorite halftime show. For people that don't know, uh, I love Tom Petty. All right, I think it's time for TBT. TBT. Emma. Yeah. I have to tell you that I was a very I was very into action movies, and I will say that I felt like. The late 90s, early 1000s was an excellent time for really, like, elevating the action movie where we went from Steven Seagal blowing up, like, cars to my TBT, which is The Matrix. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) I I knew you would not like this, (laughs) but my throwback is to The Matrix trilogy. I fucking loved those movies. I'm pretty confident that I could quote through a lot of the first one. And um, there was just something about it that was simultaneously satisfied this like action movie interest. And then also added this element of like... Allowing you to feel like there was this something philosophically deeper and combined the special effects necessary to really just transform uh, film forever. 
Wow. I want to, like, <laughs> applaud that one out. We're still talking about it. Still. Seriously? Uh, there's Or, uh, like, in, in the, no, in the last week. In, in, in fun. In, yeah, yeah, no, it's in fun. But, you know, okay, Emma, I'm having trouble getting through this because of your skepticism. Skepticism? Um, but wow, that movie was so cool. Oh. The way he like dodges the bullet and the way the people are still saying like, oh, we're in the Matrix. <laughs> you ever, you ever just, for my Matrix fans out there, you ever just eat a steak and you're like, <laughs> is this steak even real? What? No. I, what? Okay. I don't get it. You know what? It's in the movie. Oh man. And remember when they're like, they're they're looking for an exit and they pull back the curtains and it turned into brick and they're like, something's changed in the Matrix. Oh no, <laughs> I don't remember. I know you don't. I only saw it once when it first oh, came out. Or when they see the cat twice and they're like, oh, I have deja vu. And he's like, what did you say? And he's like, I just had deja vu. And he's like, something has changed. And then they open the curtains and it's... <laughs> It's brick behind it. And they're like, something has changed in the Matrix. I'm so happy you're reliving this so joyfully. Oh, God. Yeah, that movie was cool. What's your, what's your throwback? My throwback is inspired by Hype Machine, which is the music streaming service that I listen to that I love. And it, like, it like basically just combines all the I don't know how it does it, but it's like really bootstrapped and I love it. And I listen to this song that's like that song from the 90s that's like, hey, with my naked eye, I saw all right. Do you know that song? But basically, it's a song called Naked Eye by Luscious Jackson, which was, it was kind of. Maybe they maybe not a one hit wonder, but like definitely got a lot of radio played in the nineties. That song came out in like nineteen ninety six. And Ooh. my bigger TBT is really like I really miss the days of like girl mm. women led real <gasps> fucking rock yeah. bands. Yeah. Like Garbage. Deep rock bands. Yeah. The Cardigans. Yeah. Even fucking the Cranberries. Mm. And then all the Girl Riot shit, which, like, I wasn't ever really into because I was too young. But, like, girls and guitars, it was yeah. so, it was so good. Slater Kenny. Yeah. Even, like, No Doubt, oh, the yeah. early days. Totally. I just miss it. Yeah. I miss it a lot. Yeah. So, here's to you. The band formerly known as Luscious Jackson, and for inspiring me to believe in the power that the 90s gave women to mm. just pick up a guitar and fucking get on your local alternative rock music station. All right. All right, Emma. Thanks, Grace. Thanks, Emma. Oh, Thanks, what an listeners. epi. Zeitgeist, zeitgeist, zeitgeist. See you all in a fortnight. See you in a fortnight.